Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Thanks for tuning in to Insights, folks, where today we're truly honored to welcome Americana music icon and trailblazer Delbert McClinton, whose latest record, Outdated Emotion, debuted at number one on the Billboard Blues Albums chart. Recently released on Hot Shot Records and 30 Tigers, the 16-song collection marks a return to McClinton's roots as he reinvents the music of his childhood heroes, Ray Charles, Hank Williams, Little Richard, and many more. The album offers listeners a backstage pass to some of the most significant musical moments in American history. The four-time Grammy Award winner chats with Amy Wright this hour all about the album, as well as his formative years, and what his lifelong journey as a musician has consisted of for the last 60 years. I kind of wanted to know what got you here. So where did, where did you grow up? I grew up in Lubbock, Texas, hub of the plains, the Lano Estacado, as the uh, Spaniards called it. Yeah, so there's a lot of great music that comes from Lubbock. Were you aware of that growing up or? Uh, of course. Yeah. I had just I had just moved to Fort Worth in 1951, thereabouts when Buddy Holly b- broke it all wide open. So I was there for that whole ride. Yeah. Now, did you start playing music when you were really young, or did that come along yeah. later? No, I uh, I had always been musical. I mean, in in looking back at it, you know, regardless of what I was doing, I was singing something or I was playing drums on, on somebody or something. And, um, and uh, also, uh, school was tough for me, so I wrote poetry. Um, not a lot of poetry, but uh, it saved me a lot of times. Anyway, that's a whole other story, but uh, um, I don't know. It's always been there for me, music has. Now, was there a band in school, and did you play in the high school band or anything no, like that? No, no, no. This was this was all uh, uh, in in a way that time illegal music, you know, in a sense. Sure. I mean, you know, my mother was upset that I was so drawn to black music. She wouldn't. I mean, it wasn't a deal breaker with her, but she wanted me to be a a country singer. And when I fell in love with the blues, uh, it put a bruise on her heart. Mm. But she got over it. I bet she did. (laughs) She's like, hey, this isn't so bad. Um, So what was the first band that you actually played in? It was not really a band, but it it was some guys really putting their ass on the line and couldn't wait to do it. Uh, my brothers, both my brothers, the first ones, they, they brought friends over to the house. Each one of them at different time they had a guitar with them. And and uh, I came I came home from school in junior high school. Uh, yeah. Anyway, came home from school one day. We lived in a shotgun duplex and uh, the house was just one room it went right after the other, you know. So uh, I came in the door and I heard somebody singing a Hank Williams song in my house playing a guitar. And my heart just about jumped out of my chest. I dropped everything I had and started down through the dining room, through the kitchen and into the, the, the nook, you know, with the round top or dining area. And uh, there was a, there was this old boy, he was a roughneck, all, all neck guy, all, all, all rig guy. Uh, had his hard hat laying up there beside him. Uh, he was sitting there in that archway with his leaning back and with his feet up on the uh, the other side. And uh, he's playing a little Martin guitar. It had a hole in it about the size of your fist, which he later told me that he stepped on it when he was drunk. And that just made him an even bigger hero. This is the guy. This is the savior that's come. I didn't see much of him, but uh, 
my other brother brought a guy around that taught me a few chords and uh, and it just started rolling from there now um when did you join the band it was the straight jackets um where you backed up a lot of the um uh, the big I, blues I, artists i started i created the band the straight jackets uh the first band you asked me was the mellow fellows hey i and like here, that name yeah uh so uh and that was me I had a drummer that had a snare drum and a, a ride cymbal. That's the big one, if you don't know. And, uh, and, and uh, there were four guitar players and none of us could play. <laughs> you know, we, we, we tried real hard and we weren't ashamed to go at it, but it was terrible. But it was fun. And the way we got together as a band Jerry Lee Lewis was coming for the first time ever to play the Sportatorium in Dallas, which is a great big wrestle, wrestle arena. But for shows, they just take the posts down on the corners and make a stage out of it. So we went over there and applied to be one of the opening acts. They, they had about three or four opening acts, and we got on. Nobody knew we weren't any good, you know. Uh, and, and we just we just looking at it. We we're gonna play with Jerry Lee Lewis, <laughs> <laughs> and we did. And it was it was terrible, but it was great. You know, any little thing that sounded pretty good made the whole night. We could forgive ourselves for screwing something up. If somebody just did something, and everybody said, "Yeah, man," you know, we we got one high note in there, so. You know, it was, we were young and dumb and couldn't get enough and took a lot of abuse and, and loved getting it just to get to make music in front of people. Isn't that the fun part of being young is you have all that bravado and everything is just fun. You're not even that concerned about the particulars of something. You're just concerned well, about the about, thing. It's not about fame or money. Mm -hmm. It's about making music. And that's, that's it. Making, making music to satisfy your own soul, and in doing so, do the same to, to others. That's a, that's a piece of magic. It is a piece of magic, and uh, you're lucky enough to have been in this business for your whole life, pretty much. Oh, you know, I, I, I'm so happy to have lived my life at the time that I've lived. I was, I was born in 1940. First 10 years of my life, all of the great fantastic war music made by these genius orchestra leaders and 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 Frank Sinatra what Frank Sinatra I caught myself recently I listened to Frank Sinatra and uh, I thought I heard him make a mistake and my whole body shook and I went back to check it and he, he didn't <laughs> I thought he did so that's a terrible feeling to think that Frank Sinatra made a Thanks. So was there an artist when you were young that just sort of blew you away that you thought, I, I have to do this. I have to I have to play this kind of music and this is that person for me. Well, I'd have to say it was Hank Williams because he did that to everybody. He was the genius and still is. You can't beat Hank Williams. You, know, you can't beat Ray Charles. You can't beat Frank Sinatra. Uh, oh, what's her name? I can't. I can't. I can't remember. Winehouse. Oh, Amy, Amy Winehouse. Winehouse. Yes. Genius. Absolute yeah. genius. She makes you. She makes you, her voice conjures up image. So vivid, it stinks. She was something, is, is something. Anyway, that's another story. Let's talk about me. We're, we're definitely talking about you. It's all about you this hour. And um, so you, you, you were in a band and you backed up uh, folks like Sonny Boy Williamson, Helen Wolf, Lightning Hopkins, Jimmy Reed. What was that experience like for you? And what did well, you learn? 
Okay, everything you said there was right about one thing. Uh, I didn't back up Lightning Hopkins. He backed up himself. We okay. did shows. We did shows with Lightning Hopkins. So it was it was same thing except I was learning from him by just watching and listening. But um, yeah, it was great. You know, Helen Wolf. First time we ever backed him. Well, listen. You know, you got to put this in context. Those guys were on the radio back then. You know, the pop radio, whatever you want to call it. Right. Uh, 40. Uh, Fannie Mae by Buster Brown and and uh, uh, Big Boss Man, Jimmy Reed, these things, you know, these things that are iconic pieces of music. Uh, mostly coming from the oddest places. You know, so uh, it's a big thrill. Everybody can do it. You just got to find a way to let it all hang out and uh, not hurt yourself. What did you learn about being a performer from these guys? Because these blues guys are known as incredible performers on stage. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, this was all back in segregation. So, uh if Jimmy was in Jimmy Reeves in town playing with us, we would go pick him up on the side of town where the black hotels were. It was bizarre. It was really bizarre because these were were icons to me. And and so, you know, I've always thought all of that was weird. When I was a little kid in Lubbock, Texas, uh, we were in a JC Penney's or something, you know, little town, big store had two floors, whatever. Uh, and the, I, I remember asking my mother one day, because the water fountain said white and colored. And, and I asked my mother, what, what does that mean? And she says, I don't know, mumble something, and we went off. Of course, you know, I didn't let up. It, I'm trying to say is, that's, that's weird. What was, I, what was I lying to you about before I got off on that? Well, you were talking about the fact that um, you were playing with these guys and they were great performers, but you had to go pick oh, them up yeah, in well, the other part of town. Well, yeah, but at the end of the night, it all had to go back to se segregation. Mm. Uh, but uh, I got to be good friends with, 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 with I say good friends, uh, first name basis and smile and handshake when I saw them because Back in the early 60s, 1661, we backed up Jimmy Reed and, and Sonny Boy and uh, Alan Wolf and various other artists that I can't recall. Uh, but, uh, and this was in the days where everybody in the world wasn't in a band. So the people that were were real serious until they get in their late teens, they got married and their wife made them give it up and go to work in the office, you know, and that happened to a lot of guys. I remember, I remember I was leaving for the gig one night. We, we had these uh, beetle outfits with beetle boots and waistcoats, you know, and, you know, Mr. Cool. Looking sharp. Yeah. <laughs> huh? Looking sharp. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> as, as tight as they could get. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, this girl across the street, I went to, to school with her. She was a couple of years younger than me. And and she was married and had a couple of kids and lived directly across the street. And I was going out to my car and she was coming into her house and she saw me all dressed up. She said, Deborah, are you still going to be doing this when you're 30 years old? I said, if I'm lucky. And I've been pretty lucky. Well, gauging from your career, you've been incredibly lucky. Um, so what was next? Was it the Rondells? Was that uh, sort of in the mid-60s? or? Well, the Rondells kind of started. There was a guy in town who, who's, a, who's a book in himself. His, his name was Major Bill. He was an ex-Air Force guy who was wounded in World War II in his hand, and uh, they mustered him out and bumped him up to... Uh, 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 major, so he'd get a better, better, um, but retirement check. 
anyway, you know, it, it was a, a last kiss, kind of. Well, he was recording. He was rec- he was in competition with a guy called Huey Moe from Houston, who uh, who uh, they were both trying to be. Uh, well, they were kind of. Uh, uh, Colonel Tom Parker, Elvis is the guy. Well, these guys had the same kind of attitude. Everything was, that's smash, this is a smash hit, you know. And uh, Bruce Chanel, he was one of Major Bill's guys, but he would record anybody. And uh, I guess if you sling it up against the wall, something's going to stick because he got Hey Baby out of it. Wow. And Last Date, which was a, about somebody die, teenager dying in a crash or something, major big hit record. But uh, he was a crazy guy. That's a whole other story. Uh, why was I telling you about him? The Rondells. We were going to talk he, about that. Uh, uh, we had a band called the Rondells. We had a band called the Straight Jackets, but that was earlier years. This is this is up around 1960. 60, 60, no, 62 when it, when it happened. Uh, and that's cause the straight jackets kind of broke up. I, they, they could, the guitar player was, was pissed at me. And, uh, and best guitar player in the world, but he was a hard case, you know, and fired me. Well, that's kind of what I, anyway, Without me, they, Ronnie Kelly, the other singer, he quit when they fired me. So they had a bass player, a drummer, and a guitar player. That's what was left of the Ron, of the Ron, of the Straightjackets. So that kind of just dissolved and all went away. And then the Rondells came along because that was me and Ronnie, the one that quit and came. And we were the Rondells. I, I wrote a song called If You Really Want Me To, I'll Go. And when I went down to record it, well, yeah, I had met Major Bill by then. And so Major Bill used me and I used him as much <laughs> as we could. Uh, he'd get me to get guys together to come to the studio and 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 I'd, I'd tell him, okay, after if there's any time left on the session, uh, after we get done with this artist, we get to record some of our stuff. So, you know, and we all, we all, me and the other guys that played it on Hey Baby made $5 a piece. That was what he paid back in that day. We were unaware with any of the rules about, you know, it was residuals people. and all of that. Didn't play yeah, into no, that. It was just, we're going to get to record something. I don't care. Take my left foot if you want to, but let us get up there and do it and listen back. That was all there was, you know. It's all there's ever been, you know. I, that passion has driven, has driven me in 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 the worst and the best of ways. It still does, and it's uh, it keeps it keeps me going. It's 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 always there. I can put horn parts to the hum of the city. It's just always there. Well, you're lucky to do something that you love. Not everybody has that. Oh, I'm the luckiest guy you know. I am. Uh, Once again, because of the time, but because I've done done what I had to do, and some people got hurt, and I'm the asshole. But I got hurt too some, and I'm not the asshole. So it goes around, you know, and uh, I, I regret people that are hurt. But if I had stayed, it would have been a lot worse. Well, it had to be tough. It had to be tough being on the road, being a musician and trying to have a family at the same time. You know, I hear well, that time was, and time again that touring is tough. Well, it's tough, especially when you're that young and that dumb. And just being in a band gets you a girl if for just a few hours. Right. 
uh, talking to somebody yesterday. We were talking about oddities, and uh, a, a, a guy can walk around carrying a guitar case, and women will come to him. Sure. Some, it, it just happens. And it's very if, sexy. If you, <laughs> and if you can actually, if you have actually have a guitar in the case, you're even more attractive because here's the chance that somebody is stepping off into the unknown, beautiful unknown space that is your freedom and ability to, to chase a dream. Well, and when you're a performer at whatever level it is, it, it is a sort, it's um, part of fame, even if you're not the most famous person. Um, well, it's still, you know, it's still fame for some people, and there's an attraction to that fame, I think. Well, uh, of course there is. But that fame, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's different levels, you know. I wrote a song uh, uh, that kind of says something about this, that... Uh, uh, I'm going to recite this to you. Says, I was born and raised in Texas. I've been a lot of places, but some things seem to always stay the same. They all have local heroes followed around by local zeros looking for their claim to fame. You summed it up right there. That's Yeah, but there's more. <laughs> oh, there's more. But wait, there's more. I want to hear it. Fueled by chemical consumption, no sense or compunction, but to wallow in the mess they make. They find in their conclusion, it was all just an illusion. They grind their teeth and grind their teeth and watch the colors fade. Everybody dance. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now I got to hear the song, so I'm going to have to go look that up when we're uh, done with the interview. Well, it, 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 it's on Tall, Dark, and Handsome, and it's we record when we recorded this song. Me and some friends were in Mexico. I have a place in Mexico. That the last several years, we three or four of us, no, no more than three, really, three of us would go down there. People that I really admire, and we spend a week eating good food and sitting out on the veranda watching the world below us and make shit up. But can you say shit on this? Oh, you can say, you can say shit. And okay. um, how, how about Margarita? Was there a Margarita involved in down there oh, in Texas, Mexico? Uh, there was, there was, I met this guy, this magic guy and he died. He was gonna show me Mexico and he did show me some. But uh, I ran into him and we headed off as friends. And every time he would come to my house, he would come in with all the mixings for margarita and just, <laughs> hey, how y'all doing? And go right to the kitchen and make a batch of margaritas and start the whole event. And uh, and he, he was, his excitement kept everybody up. He was one of those guys that walk in the room and everybody gravitates around him within five minutes. He took me out in, into the desert in, in Mexico. I've got a video of a peyote patch that was about four feet round, which was, was always been. <laughs> that's, that's one of my bucket list things. Boy, what else am I looking for? I wanted to see peyote growing in the wild. And it was fascinating. And, uh, and he's gone, and it pissed me off. There's something spiritual about being out there, isn't it? Oh, God, I love the, the, the high desert in Mexico. Mm. It is so incredibly magic. And everything that you can see is trying to bite you. The plants, anything. <laughs> it, it's just, it's beautiful. In fact, I did a 360 with my camera when we were standing out there. But you can't tell what it is, you know. You can't take pictures of, of that. But you're right, it's a magic place. You know, it's really hard to capture that sometimes that moment because I've never been to the high desert in, in Mexico, but I've been to New Mexico and I've been to Taos and Santa Fe and right. driven all through there. And they're just beautiful sunsets and beautiful flowers and 
um, all sorts of things that I've never seen before ever because I came from the East Coast and um, I try to take pictures, but it just doesn't quite capture the moment. No, that you're you, in. it doesn't. Uh, my wife and I several years ago decided we need a car down there, so we drove a, a car down there. I'll never do it again because <laughs> uh, it's uh, I'm my reflexes aren't that good anymore. But and they and I find out they weren't real good then because these truckers they don't get out of your way and they don't slow down. And if you're in the track, you just get hit. Anyway, it's, it's, it's crazy. But the vistas, you can see the whole world from up there, and it's wild still, untamed. It's, 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 um, it's, it's, it's so beautiful, it's frightening. You know I what I mean? For, yeah, I do, because for me, it feels free, because I grew up in a city, and you have all these boundaries around you always. Oh, well, it is city. free. It is free, but, but it gets so it, it can get so free that there's nobody else in the world in, in the area that you can see. And you're looking out over these vistas that just go on forever. It's almost like in Switzerland when you're looking at the mountain. Well, it's, it's like that, not as on steroids as that, but as vast as that. You can look forever, and it's just untamed beauty. Anyway, I, I like Mexico. It's beautiful. And just to step back a second, so um, when did you go to California? Because right before you kind of started your solo career, you did a stint in California. And why did you go there? What kind of drew you to California? Well, I was, uh, I was separated from my first wife. And life was hell. And I was working day jobs, doing things like working for a brake and clutch company and, and, and have a drive a delivery truck over to take a pressure plate for a, a something, you know, something a smart monkey could do. And every job I had was, was, was similar to that, except when I worked at the bomber plant. God damn, that was surreal. But that's a whole other story. But I, I had jobs, you know, but they were all a, a, a means to an end. I never took any job I had seriously because I was going to make music, period. Never was a second guessing on that, ever. And I find that kind of weird. Because uh, it's hard to make a living in a bar band. You must have known you were going to go farther than a bar band, though, because, uh, well, you know. I've all, I've, honestly, I've always known it. I've always known it. I can remember the first time, this is the first time that I realized that I always will know this. Drive-in theater back in the early 60s I was anywhere from 18 to 22 years old in that period every weekend was a drive-in and uh, in between the double features always and and uh, in between down in front of the screen they had a playground you know like the like a kid's playground you can grab hold and spin around or or you know a few things. And also up on the top of the screen at each end was a bright spotlight shining down so the kids have a place to play, right? So if you're sitting back in your car, all you can see is the, are these two spotlights. I used to sit there and think those spotlights are going to be shining on me because I'm going to be the guy. And I've never doubted it. Now, by that, it's, it's, it's turned into so many things. But I did it. I've done what I want to do. I, uh, but the last record I made is, I think, the best record I've ever made. Well, and we're going to talk about the, uh, the new album um, here in just a few minutes, uh, Outdated Emotion, because yeah. I, I got the pleasure of listening to the entire thing. 
and I know it's just coming out, so I got a little sneak preview, but um, I love the album and it has original tracks and also pays homage to a lot of the artists we've been talking to, talking about and you've been talking about. Um, uh, just a couple of more questions before we hit the album, though. Um, I wanted to find out how you kind of got to where you put out that iconic, iconic album where you had a major hit, you know, The Jealous Kind, and Giving It Up For Your Love was a hit there. But what kind of led up to that and that gave you the confidence level that you could put out an album as a solo artist? And, um, and then what was it like after you made the album? Because that, that was a big hit. Those records were made during my first marriage, which was hell hmm. for 10 years. And uh, so I, I, I can't confidently tell you what led me to do anything, except you mentioned giving it up for your love. Uh, Jerry, Jerry Williams, Jerry Lynn Williams wrote that song. And he was a friend of mine and a great singer. And he was from Dallas, I was from Fort Worth, and we, uh, we'd bump into each other now and then. And, uh, and uh, And I, I had, and Jerry was a wild guy. He he killed a Cadillac with a, with a, I mean a Mercedes with a, uh, uh, for a Magnum. He thought it was coming at him. That's why he was raising pigs. <laughs> uh, somewhere in there, in, in those years, from from sixty to time I left for California, it's just seventy one, I think. It was my life was I was really not a very smart person. I was uh, I was kind of like a mule that was turned out young and just grew up wild. You were so young, though, then, you know, it was. Well, I was. But in, t in today's world, people just don't get married that young anymore. No, they don't. Well, you know, it was kind of a we didn't mean to get pregnant just as. Every other poor sucker that runs into that wall, you know, uh, the sex education should be utmost. But it's too late. They're, everybody's crazy. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, so you ended up famous. You went well, from like not I, famous to famous, but that's pretty. That's a pretty big hit. Well, yeah. Well. What what is famous? You know, I don't know. Now that I've gotten close to being famous, a lot of it's pain in the ass. Uh, you know, you you when you run into people at an excited event like a, a like a, a show you play or something big show, and afterwards you want to be a nice guy and talk, to them, but some some sometime every once in a while somebody has got a hold of your arm and they think you know the secret. You know what I'm saying? Yep. That's really weird, really awkward, really uncomfortable. And you gotta, they think they know you too, right? And well, that's right. They want to move in, you know, just insinuate, <laughs> insinuate themselves into your, yeah. your life. And I'm not looking to, I don't want to be, I don't, I, I don't want to be on stage all the time. I like to do a show, I like to sing, I like to get the reaction, I like to have a good time. But I'm not a schmoozer, you know, I don't like the hoopla. The hoopla is, is how much ado about nothing and, and egos, god damn. Anyway, uh, I've become quite the hermit and I really enjoy it. Well, so do you consider yourself more of a creative songwriter then? And, or is performing always been just right there in the mix as well? Just- No, I do it all. You do it all. <laughs> of course as you far, do. As far, as far as what I'm trying to do, I, I do it all. Oh, you know, it just, uh, it just happens. You know? Well, and you've written songs for other people as well, right? You've had some hits. Not on purpose. <laughs> you know, I've written songs that they liked and covered it. Mm -hmm. But I, I've, you know, in Nashville, one of the main jobs here is as being a writer is you go into whatever publishing company you work, and they usually have several different little rooms, writing rooms, and you pair up with somebody, either somebody in the same 
same same building you're in, or you write with somebody in the building over who's a, who's a different publishing company. But you sit there all day and you make songs up, and you, you're only you're on, they give you so much money a year to just do that. But in doing that, I mean, that's great if you're a prolific, prolific songwriter. But that never interested me. I, I want to do what, it's all me, me, me. It just is. Because I, Well, you're a performer too. You're, you're not just a songwriter. So there are songwriters who actually aren't really performers. I mean, they're not playing in yeah, bars of and course. on and stage they, and, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that that means you can just write for yourself. Is my point. You can just yeah. do it for oh, yourself because yeah. yeah. you can play your own songs and you can perform your own songs. But like you said, obviously people like your music, so you've had a few people who've covered them and also made hits out of them. You know something that, that I want to mention that's got really nothing to do with this, but everything at the same time. Uh, this period that we're in today all started when Willie Nelson went back to Austin and started doing everything from there. He started giving songwriters a platform and all of a sudden they come out of the woods and some of them are horrible and some of them are genius, but he's the one that started that solo, you know, and then those solo singers started getting their own band. And it's grown into, it, 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 well, it's grown past that now, I think. It, it turned into all the stuff that happened in between. Uh, you know, there's when too much is too much. And uh, I, think, I think we've lost the idea I think there should be I think there should be Grammys for lyrics to bring people back to listen to the lyrics instead of in a big bear gold truck in a big bell buckle and we're going to drink a lot of beer tonight Amen to that there, there was, there was this really golden age of um, the lyric, you know, Bob Dylan and, yeah. you know, all, all these. Um, all through the, all through the 60s. All I through mean, the 60s. it was there in the 50s, but all of the solo genius people mm -hmm. started showing Jackson up. Jackson Brown and yeah. you can name a, a number of them that, you know, it was, there was almost a competition between these amazing artists to write the best lyrics. And then people yeah. read them and people yeah. looked at them like poetry and, and, political commentary and all these really interesting things that music was, as opposed to, like you said, just a hodgepodge of words put well, together. Well, a lot to of the song. music these days is background music for somebody to dance. They've got no lyrics. They got, you know, I'm not talking about all music, but there's a, a whole lot of it that is really cheap and sappy. And we're stuck in it. <laughs> well, you know, you said something that was very interesting to me about Willie Nelson, because a lot of people don't realize that he was a songwriter for, and he made so many hits for so many artists before he ever yeah. actually became a performer. He was relatively uh, old con compared well, to a lot of when these folks started. And he paved the way for, like you said, a lot of songwriters to put themselves out there and, hey, maybe I can be a performer as well. You're right, but let me tell you something else that I had, had, had that, 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 in that exact break. Uh, he was uh, performing and had a band, but he wore a suit and a tie, and it was just another guy in a suit and tie. He wrote all these great songs. Uh, crazy. Jesus. Uh, and he sold a lot of them for 50 bucks. He's, I think he bought them all back. But then he said to hell with the Nashville scene. 
And he went back to Texas and growed his hair long and became king. He just did. I don't care whether you like him or not. The, the atmosphere he created and the change that he created. He and, 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 and Paul English and Bobby and, and Pooty, they were the nucleus of this thing. And uh, what they did was, was loose as a sack full of loose quarters. But they turned it into a phenomenon. You could put Willie Nelson on stage with three or four cattle with bells on <laughs> and hay on the floor and let him walk around. And he could, he could play it and sing his way through it and make it look easy and make you like it. It's, well, I'm a huge, crazy. huge Willie Nelson fan, so. Who's not? I know. I don't know anyone who isn't. But, um, you know, it's just he's not only super talented, but he's so likable. And like you said, he makes everything look so easy um, when he's playing. And you can just about play anything. And some of it's kind of complicated. <laughs> well, it, it's very complicated. Uh, I mean, it's all if, if you're playing an instrument and singing it's complicated if you're doing it right. But doing it right means being, being genius at time, which Willie is. He can play the weirdest bunch of stuff on the guitar and come back in in the right place on the vocal. And it's, you can't ever question it. And it pisses me off. <laughs> No, well, I, I think you're pretty genius as well. And let's talk about the new album, because as you pointed out, you think it's one of your best outdated emotion, 19 tracks. It's your 27th studio album. It's out May 13th via 30 Tigers. Um, how that's did you get Friday 13th, too? Oh, is it? Well, that's good yeah. luck, man. <laughs> oh, I'll take wait. it. Yeah. Okay, wait. So uh, how did the idea for this album formulate? COVID was what had us all had a knife at our throats, everybody, everybody. And we were all people, people I know went crazy because they just won't play music. And when, when, when COVID's got you by the throat, the beer joints are empty and who would want to go in one? You know, I've holed up on at my house here. I still don't go get in the crowd. Uh, life changed. Life changed during all of that, and uh, you know I've th I've done th you're the th third interview I've done today. So I've, I, at at some points I feel like I'm telling you what I told somebody. <laughs> it's all new to me. <laughs> okay, I know, I know. Um, COVID came along, and uh, the, the the guy that the, 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 in my band, the piano player, he's been, we've been working together for over 20 years. He's absolute genius. He's got a 19 year old son who is even more genius than he is. If it could, if it could be. Well, Kevin has got a, uh, Kevin is a keyboard player. His son's name is Yates, Kevin and Yates McKendry. Well, Kevin has a studio out at his house. My son had him build years, years ago called The Rock House. And that's where I've been recording the last several albums. Well, Kevin and I decided to, he's also a songwriter friend. Of, uh, we write together. So uh, we decided uh, me and him and Yates, you know, could get in the studio, masked up and have hand spray everywhere and spray in a room, you know, whole, the whole horrible scenario, trying to get through, not getting anyway. So we started uh, recording, just fooling around. And and uh, there's a song that I wanted to sing forever. And, and, and Kevin already knew how to play it. He and I both have tried to sound, have tried to sound like Ray Charles our whole life. And, and, and his arrangement of I Want a Little Girl, uh, it's just like he learned it from Ray Charles. 
first time I ever heard him play it, I said, I want to sing that song. <clears throat> and it's not like anything I usually sing. So a lot of the things in this record were me to get to do somebody else's songs and put my twist on it. Uh, because mostly I've been recording songs I write or that we write. So that, in, in that respect, is a lot of fun. I grew up on Jimmy Reed, you know. Uh, I, uh, I, I know where I was. I was at a stoplight on the south side of Fort Worth when Honest I Do came on the radio. And uh, they go, da, 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 and then a, a cymbal crash. Bang! I fell in love. And started learning to play blues harp. Anyway, this all happened so fast. Looking back on it for 60 something years, it was like, oh shit, yeah. Well, when was that? That's right, it was a bit. So I can't, I can't keep up with a lot of it, but uh, I don't even know what I was telling you. Well, how did you choose the songs for the album then? I love them, I love them all. They are songs that I've sang a million times, except a couple. The songs that I wrote, I haven't sang them many times, but two of the songs in, on this record are recorded on other albums, but not like Hank Williams, and they set up to do it. So I said, what the hell, we're here. I may never get all these guys back in the same room together. So we did Hank Williams' versions of Money, Honey, and uh, Two Step Two. And, and uh, another... Uh, favorite song of mine was Ray Charles's version of Hard Hearted Anna. I love this song. And it's, it's got great lyrics, it's clever, it's fun, and it's jazzy. I mean, it's kind of almost black tie thing, you know? And uh, so we, we, we recorded it. And then uh, another favorite song that's always been a favorite, Amos Milburn's version of One Scotch, One Bourbon, One Beer. It has, it has held my attention throughout my entire musical life. And that was back in the late 50s or, or early 60s that he did that. In any case, I've always wanted to do it. So we did it. And Kevin put a spin on the piano that just turned it into something really special. And it's fun, it's upbeat, makes you smile, and that's what I'm about. So you feel like you got to put your own stamp on all these songs that you loved your whole yeah, life? Absolutely, yeah. And I'm, and I'm pretty proud of them. I read somewhere that, that you know, you hope that these songs connect with a new generation uh, do you, do you think that there's um, even more relevance now, today, with these songs than there was even then, just in terms of where we are? Well, let me tell you what it did to me when I first heard. Let me, let me go back a little bit. Uh, I moved to Fort Worth, Texas from Lubbock, Texas in 1951. Radio was Patty Page and the like. Dallas had a radio station called KNOK. Dallas is 30 miles away. It was all black music. And once you hear KNOK, you can't go back to Patty Page. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I live in Memphis. So, okay. Well, so you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. So I, uh, I listened to that for the, for the continuation of my adult life. That's where I was. Yeah, it was it was uh, eye opening for a whole generation of of people who became tuned into music that they had never heard before. And like you're saying, once they were tuned into it, there was no going back. Yeah. Well, this record to me is refreshing, and I can't I can't imagine that if somebody that likes to move a little bit listens to it, they're not gonna they're gonna they're certainly going to find something that, that makes them smile and want to dance. Even if it's just sitting in a chair rocking. It's, uh, it's, it's positive. It's refreshing. 
I, I think it's an amazing album. And uh, before we go, I have a question for you. I know you're not touring anymore, um, but are you going to continue to write? Oh, yeah. Yeah, all I'm, all I'm retiring from is hotel rooms with red carpet <laughs> and 15-hour bus rides. I would have retired from that a while back. <laughs> well, I couldn't get anybody. I, they had to go there to pick up the money. So. You're right. Right. Well, I have to say, Outdated Emotion, it's just a great album. Uh, I wish you the best of luck with it, and I hope everyone runs out and gets a copy. Um, that actually, doing this piece and preparing for the interview with you, I went back and started listening to a lot of your other albums as well, and I, ha I have to say, I've enjoyed every minute of it. Oh, so. great. I'm so glad. Thank you. It was it was a pleasure talking to you, Delbert, and uh, um, come to see us in Memphis sometime. That's a wrap for this edition of Insights. Major thanks to Mr. Delbert McClinton for stopping by to chat all about his latest LP, his 27th studio album, Outdated Emotion. The 81-year-old legend said of the record, I've always wanted to do an album of the songs that influenced me the most. It's important music from another time. There's a whole generation, maybe two generations now, who don't know this music. My whole idea was to show them how it was and how we got here. Hank Williams, Jimmy Reed, Lloyd Price, Ray Charles, these songs take me to my youth. From his early Fort Worth, Texas days to becoming one of the most celebrated guests on Saturday Night Live and Austin City Limits, McClinton was among the first to lay the groundwork for the collision of Texas and Tennessee music, creating his own genre and a melting pot of American culture that would inspire generations to come. Read more about McClinton and order his new album now at Delbert.com. From all of us at Diddy TV, thanks again for tuning in. And we hope to see you again real soon, right here on Insights. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.